Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are studying the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we'll begin today in studying the Beatitudes. Actually, we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 form the ground and the foundation of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, that not only did he give it to his disciples, but he's given it to the church today. Now, I have heard some um, commentators say that it is impossible for us today to live what Jesus commanded and taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is reserved for the millennial reign, and I just don't believe that. I don't believe for the life of me how Jesus could teach his disciples uh, to observe the what I call the law of Christ and yet them not being able to uh, observe or to adhere to the law of Christ. We have uh, the Holy Spirit. We've been born again. We have been redeemed in Christ Jesus. The love that propelled Christ to do what he did is the same love that's been uh, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So everything that Jesus taught his disciples and taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, he expects us to live uh, that law of Christ today. And so I look at it this way. I look at chapter five, which includes the Beatitudes. That's where we'll start today. That chapter 5 speaks to us of our redemption in Christ Jesus, our overall redemption in Christ Jesus. We have the helper that lives on the inside of us. As a matter of fact, we have the entire Godhead that lives in us, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 6, this chapter speaks to us of our sanctification in Christ Jesus, the fact that we are now separate from the things of this world, that the God of this world no longer dominates us. He has no more dominion over us. Amen. Praise God. Amen to that. And then chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount speaks to us of our bearing fruit, good fruit, bearing fruit unto God in Christ Jesus. Notice that chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 speaks to us of our life in Christ. And so that's the way we're going to look at the at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But before we begin, <clears throat> let's go ahead and pray. Father God in heaven, we're thankful today for your goodness and for your mercy. Enlighten us, Lord. Bring light and revelation to us through the power of your word, and we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So we'll begin today, and we're going to begin in Luke chapter 6, and notice what Luke records concerning setting up this great and wonderful teaching, this foundational teaching of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, it says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Notice that. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Amen. Why are so many in the church and in the world not able to get their healing? Maybe it's because they're not hearing. 
Maybe it's because that uh, they have not spent enough time in the presence of God for him to direct them in how to be healed. And I think that's a very important point to make, you see. And notice here that not only did the multitude come out of Judea and Jerusalem, they also came from Tyre and Sidon. Isn't that interesting? What a phenomenon the ministry of the Lord Jesus began to entail, that Jew and Gentile alike would come together. They would sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus to hear him and to be healed of him. I think that's fantastic. And then, of course, uh, of course in verses 18 and 19, um, you know, verse 17, they came to hear him to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue or power out of him and healed them all. And then Matthew, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Notice this, that the teaching, the body of the teaching of the Beatitudes, and I include the entire Sermon on the Mount, was directed towards his disciples, to all of them. Now, at this time, there was at least 70 in number, disciples following the Lord Jesus. So what we are going to study, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, was directed towards the disciples. Well, if you and I are born again, we're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this teaching is directed towards us also. Amen. So let's get into the Beatitudes. Notice verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice that, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the word blessed here comes from the Greek word makarios, and it means to be blessed, it means to be happy, it means to be fortunate or to be well off. And reading after some Greek scholars and commentators, uh, they regret that makarios has come to be translated blessed. And it's because they much prefer its original definition, which the Greeks knew that makarios meant to be happy or to be made happy. Now, I want to ask you a question. You're a born again child of God. Has God made you happy? I remember a song we used to sing years ago. Happy, 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 happy in the Lord. Amen. God makes us happy. Praise God. We're blessed. Why? Because we're poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean, poor in spirit? It comes from the Greek word tokos. And it means that someone who is totally destitute, who's unable to provide for himself, so he is totally dependent upon the grace and the mercy of others in order for him to to, uh, survive. Now, notice that Jesus said poor in spirit. So take that time, uh, that, that, uh, that idea of being totally destitute and unable to provide for himself and apply it to our salvation in Christ Jesus. We are totally dependent upon Christ, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, uh, he saved us. There was nothing that you or I could do in order to earn salvation. It came solely upon the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
He is the one that paid our debt. Praise God. He didn't owe that debt, but he came to pay it. Glory to God. Why? Because he is the Savior. Praise God. But notice that Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, you and I, anyone in the world, and I know there, there are many that thinking that their own merit will earn them heaven, but they cannot hope to make heaven based upon their own works or their own abilities. God has given to every man work to do. He's given every man abilities to accomplish that work. And I say, praise God for it. But we can't hope to earn heaven based upon our own works or abilities. We have to accept the fact that in ourselves, we're truly nothing. And this is the real value of spiritual maturity. When we come to the place that we are willing to truly recognize ourselves as nothing, and then we begin to look solely to Jesus for him to be the author and finisher of our faith, it is in him that we come and become something. We're nothing without Jesus. We can do nothing without Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, we can do all things. That's where our identity is. It is in Christ. That is in Christ. We become something, something that has been made worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, praise God. I don't know about you, but I just preached myself real happy. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn there is the Greek word pentheo, and it means to mourn for the dead. And notice that Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the word comforted comes from the Greek word parakleo, and actually what it means is a comforter. Someone who draws near to comfort someone else. Amen. So, but now this means much more than just mourning for a loved one who has passed away. Uh, this type of mourning is experienced because of sin, the reality of sin. And the reality of the fact that the, 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 the Holy Spirit now has moved upon our life. He, he has convicted us and convinced us of our need to um, receive Jesus Christ and submit to his lordship. And so we're moved by this conviction to confess our sin and to repent, turn away from it, to repent of that sin. See, this is the kind of mourning one experiences because of sin. Amen. You know, many years ago, when we were witnessing on the streets of a city. Uh, there was one fellow joined us one Saturday, and he thought that all he had to do to get people saved was just to say for them to confess Jesus as Lord. And he took a scripture over in uh, the epistle of Paul to the Romans, took it completely out of context. And so he was claiming he would got eight, nine, ten. I don't remember exactly how many people he, he got all these people saved. Well, they're not saved. You see, we we don't until God opens our eyes. Remember the prodigal son when God opened his eyes and he saw for the first time the situation he was in. God has to open up our eyes up until that point. 
we have been blinded by the God of this world. But when God opens up our eyes through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and then we're moved, amen, to repent then and to ask Christ for forgiveness, and we're willing to bow our knee, submit to him as our as our Savior and as our Lord at that time, based upon our faith, based upon that faith and based upon that confession, God grants us eternal life and we become a born again child of God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, this is the type of morning that Jesus is talking about. Hallelujah. Now, in verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the Greek word for meek is praus. And actually, it means mildness. It means being humble. It's a quiet strength. Something that a strength that endures trials and testings uh, without developing hardness or becoming bitter. There's too many people in the church because of testings and because of trials, because of catastrophes, something that has uh, happened in their life or in their family. They have grown very bitter. Can't tell you how many people that I've rubbed shoulders with that have been bitter and angry, mad against God, mad against the church because they had a young child die out of out of for no fault due to anybody. The child just died. And they have become bitter because of that. Well, see, that's not meekness. That's not humility. That's being puffed up with pride. And that pride has lashed out at God and say, God, why have you done this to me? Well, see, that kind of anger, that kind of pride turns us away from God. Now, God knew what would happen. But for some reason or another, he didn't intervene. But see, if we're truly servants of God, we're going to accept that. We're going to accept the things of this life that happened to us that we don't understand. We don't we can't explain it. We don't know why these things happen, but they happen. We live in a universe that really essentially is in rebellion against God. Sin is in this world. Sin has not been defeated yet. Sin still lives in the lives of millions of people. And until Satan is dealt with, until God renews this heaven, he renews the heaven and the earth, and then the curse will be done away with, sin will be no more. But as it is right now, sin is alive and well. And sin will always cost us more than what we're willing to pay. Think about all the people in the past that have become bitter and angry at God and mad at God and they have become anti-Christ because of something that happened in their life many, many years ago. See, that sin of pride is costing them more than what they would be willing to pay. And it's taken them farther than what they wanted to go. And that's such a horrible thing to contemplate. God does not want us to be in that position. If we'll humble ourselves and if we'll get on our knees and get on our face before God, and if we'll truly repent, the United States of America must repent. If we want the things that have come upon this country this year, then we better get on our knees and we better repent as a nation and we better begin to turn around because things are not going to ease up. They'll get worse. God is speaking to us through trial and through temptation. He's trying to get our attention. And I hope that we'll listen to him. Amen. Praise God. 
Once again, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Mildness, meekness, mildness. It's a reflection of Christ. That's the way Jesus is, because he said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give, your, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So we're talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the strong man of the church, the head of the church, the man that had absolutely not one ounce of fear, but he was meek. So meek that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying for the thing that was getting ready to come upon him, any other way for it to be diverted. But yet he said, unless I drink this cup, Lord, thy will be done. See, that's meekness. We do the will of God. We do it in a humble, with a quiet strength. Amen. Not boastful, not proud, but just being of the same spirit that Jesus is. Amen. Praise God. Jesus is the spirit of meekness. And so we as believers should be meek in spirit. Praise God. All right. Verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, the hunger that Jesus is talking about and the thirst that Jesus is talking about is the kind of hunger that you and I experience if we go days without eating. Think about if you went seven days without eating, how hungry you would be. Or what if you went three or four days without water? Say like you were uh, caught out in the desert. You were alone in the desert. You were lost and you had nothing to nothing to drink. And then somebody brought came by and saw you and gave you some water. Do you think you would appreciate a man satisfying your thirst with some cool water? Absolutely. You would. And see, this is the kind of hunger and the kind of thirst. Notice this, after righteousness, that Jesus said, if you hunger for righteousness, as a hungry man desires food, if you thirst after righteousness, as a thirsty and parched man would, would, uh, would uh, covet water, and if you do it after the things of God, that's really what righteousness is talking about, talking about hungering and thirsting after the things of God. Jesus says, you shall be filled, praise God. Amen. This is the place that the church needs to be. I don't think we're there. I don't think we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I don't believe we are. I believe we hunger and thirst, amen, from one meal to the next, you know, like you might get a little bit hungry before lunch and you want to get a snack. But this is not the hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about. The hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about is that is a hunger and a thirst that is upon us, that is deep down on the inside of us, that is motivating us and moving us, amen, to desire these things. Do we desire the Lord? Do we desire his presence in our church services? Does this hunger and thirsting after the things of God uh, uh, compel us to get on our knees in prayer that draw us to the word of God, hungering and thirsting after the things of God so much that it seems like that we cannot live without prayer. We cannot live without uh, the word of God. We can't live without church service. Is going to church our delight? 
or is it we force ourselves out of duty? Well, if we're forcing ourselves out of duty to go to church, if we are forcing ourselves as a duty to, to pray a few minutes or to even open up the word of God, we are in a sad state of affairs. And I think we need to spend some time praying, asking God to, not only to forgive us, but for us to repent and to ask the Lord to create in us a hunger and a thirst after the things of God. And he'll do that. Amen. If we're sincere, that's what he'll do. Praise God. And then verse seven says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the word merciful comes from the Greek word alimon, and it means being merciful. It means the act of showing compassion. Just like Jesus had mercy and compassion upon the leper and healed him when the leper said, Lord, I know if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus had compassion on him and said, I will be thou clean and touched him. Touch the contagion. Amen. But every bit of bacteria that uh, was destroying that man, when Jesus touched that, it automatically died and immediately that man was healed. Praise God. Oh, I tell you what mercy and compassion does. And you know, this word alimon is only used one more time, and that's in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Let me read it to you. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, this is so interesting because this is what mercy seeks for. Mercy seeks for reconciliation. Praise God. And then verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart comes from the Greek phrase kathari de cardia. And it means to be sacrificially, it means to be naturally and spiritually clean and free from sin. We live a sacrificial life, and that sacrificial life, speak, life speaks of being clean and free from the rudiments of this world, from the sin and stain of sin that is in this world, praise God. So you and I, as true believers in Christ Jesus, we have been created. Notice that word, created. Amen. Not made over, created. Created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, says that the church is. And because we have been created in righteousness and true holiness, now we are to keep ourselves unspotted. That, that word unspotted is the Greek word aspalos. And it means to be physically and morally incorrupt. Uncorrupted by the things of this world. Amen. But notice Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Amen. They shall see God. Amen. Praise God. We're going to see him face to face one day. Praise the Lord. And of course, you know what Paul wrote to the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You were created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. So being created in righteousness and true holiness, let's not allow or yield to sin and allow the God of this world to defile us. Praise God. 
And then, of course, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Notice that. They shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers comes from two Greek words, Irene, which means peace, and P-A-O, which means to make. P-A-O, peacemakers. And what that simply means is that one who makes peace where there is an absence of peace. Jesus <laughs> brought us to peace, praise God. He is our peacemaker. Amen. We have come to peace with God. Whereas we were enemies, Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, we were once enemies. We were outside. We were uh, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. But through the gospel and through Christ, we were translated from the power of darkness over into the kingdom of his dear son. We have come to peace through Christ. Amen. And because we have been made and come to peace through the peacemaker, we now reflect Christ and being peacemakers. In other words, we're not going around causing confusion. We're not causing turmoil. Praise God. Amen. As a matter of fact, Isaiah, he prophesied this in chapter 48, and verse 22. He says, there is no peace, says the Lord, unto the wicked. But in Isaiah 26, 3, he says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Praise God. Amen. So we are the peacemakers. And then to finish out this in verses 10, 11, and 12, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Now, the Greek word persecuted comes from, uh, I mean, the word persecuted comes from the Greek word dedi augmeni, and it's in the perfect passive participle of the Greek word dioko, which means to persecute, to pursue, or to put to flight. People who persecute you for your Christian faith, they pursue you and, and attempt to put you to flight. And why is that? Well, because... You're reflecting the goodness and the righteousness and the holiness of God. The rightness of God, it always reveals the sin in the sinner and in the unbeliever. And the unbeliever hates that. Amen. God's righteousness antagonizes, antagonizes his sinful life. And he refuses to repent. Rather, he reviles the righteous because of it. Amen. But yet we must be light. And that's exactly what the next uh, thing that uh, Jesus speaks of in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Amen. And that's what we're going to get into in our next session, becoming salt and light. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. Father, take the word. Amen. We receive it in Jesus' name, apply it to our heart, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, 
then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.